Our teaching text comes today in this final installment of our Sabbath practice from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And this is how it reads. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So I'm going to have a couple stories. Uh, one from my, my life. Uh, that'll come here soon enough. But um, to start a, a, little, a little trip down uh, memory lane. Well, not my memories. This is from the year 1914. Uh, and there's a group of British soldiers who are entrenched in a stalemate with German forces following what has been, uh, even still today, some of the bloodiest battles in human history that, at least as history records it, back in World War I. And, and many speculated that the war, the, the um, World War I, would be over by Christmas, but it was far from that place. And so at this point, uh, the Christmas Day is upon these soldiers and, uh, you know, in the face of the speculation that the war would be over, there they are in the middle of it. And right in the middle of that chilling scene, you would imagine it with, like, frost clinging in the air, literally corpses in what's called no man's land on the Western Front between the British forces and the Germans. There, all of a sudden, a song starts to come up from the trenches. And it's this German, old German song, Silent Night. I'm sure there's a couple gals in here who could sing it for us in German, but I won't put that to them right now. Um, but, but it's the song uh, that remembers Christ's birth. And there, the tension of war is broken and people regain their humanity. They're, not, they're no longer combatants, but they're like human. And, and as that song creeps across no man's land, soldiers, both British and German, they, they cross into that space and they share chocolates, as you do. They begin to sing even more carols and then they even played a soccer match. Could you imagine that? One British soldier remembers hearing shouted from the German line, you no shoot, we no shoot. British papers would go on to call this little exchange a friendly chin wag, which please, please everybody here, can we just get chin wag back in the vernacular? I don't, that would be lovely. But it, British papers call it a friendly chin wag with the Germans or his, historians remember it, the Christmas truce. And I start us here because I think that there is something about the humility and the honesty of the story that has the potential to disrupt our daily struggle and more specifically our struggle with the Sabbath. If we're honest, this story reminds us that life is hard, and you're like, Kyle, I need no reminder this morning that life is hard. I'm living it. But, but if you just sit with that for a moment and you actually just draw to mind what your life is, you would know it's not an up into the right venture. That's just not the way that life goes. Because if we survey even a bit of history, personal or otherwise, what we quickly see is there's memories of war and strife, there's struggle, and we often find ourselves entrenched in our own battles with our finances, with our friends, with our preferred future. We are entrenched in those places, wondering when will the war end? 
I think that we're hoping and that we're longing for some sort of armistice, but so often we really see no other way forward than war. But then, to our great surprise, like songs and soccer matches can disrupt the mundane. They can disrupt the struggle. Singing and play somehow can disrupt the chaos for good. And I just think that is a beautiful story and it helps us to situate ourselves here in this last installment of our Sabbath series. I love how Abraham Joshua Heschel, he kind of brings this into focus in his book, The Sabbath, where he writes this. And just let this blow your mind as it did mine. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. What a, what a picture. But on the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The seventh day is man's armistice in the cruel struggle for existence. It is a truce in all conflicts, personal and social. It is an exodus from the tension. Now, I, I find that to be arresting. But I can easily be like arrested by an interesting fact and then just keep living my life. And so this is what it caused me to wonder. I wonder if I actually, I wonder if we actually believe that this is possible. Because I've, I have been practicing the Sabbath-ish for a little while now. And what I've experienced is the invitation of Sabbath to cease the struggle, to receive God's song. And it can be sweet and it can also be infuriating. For well over a month, I've been inviting you to experience this sweet frustration called the Sabbath. And to my mind, I think we've examined the contours of the Sabbath quite well. We've done a little cultural exegesis. We've looked at the need for a Sabbath. We've looked at the biblical theology that it, it actually is in creation rooted in that, that God in eternity past kind of stands, invites us into the community of love, stands in the face of creation like our teaching text says, and then rests, invites us to lay aside our worry and our work and our want and enter his rest with feasting and delight. The question that comes to us today, and it was the question at the beginning, is do we actually believe it? Do we believe it's possible to do this? And what's so interesting to me about the Christmas truce is that as you start reading on it, you find that some people thought it was a hoax. Like they would go so far as to say, no, it actually didn't happen, it was staged. And I was curious about that, and my little conclusion, I could be wrong about this, is I think that sometimes we're just so deeply entrenched in a way of being. In this case, it was a mode of war, but we're so stuck, so stuck in that way that we are blind to anything, any possibility for it other than the one that we already know. We just go, this is the way things are. But who says? Is it like, who says that the way that we're living right now, where most often we ask, how are you doing? And the response is, I'm good, but busy. Like who says that has to be flourishing? I think that Jesus has another way for us. And just recall in that little story, you know, 1914 there in the dead chill of winter on that Christmas day, like what was the thing that broke the tension? This is not a rhetorical question. Literally, what broke the tension? It was a song. A song that gave way to a, playing a soccer match? It was a song that gave way. And somehow there's something playful that made space for peace. And I just want to linger here for a while because 
I think that we get this opportunity, even in our teaching text, to rediscover the gift that play can be as we follow Jesus. So that was a story about you know war in 1914. Here's a little story from my own history. I was like 10 or 11. I don't actually remember the, the date, but what the distinct memory that came to mind was it's me walking down my street, and I'm going far enough down my street that my home is far out of view. And I have one agenda in mind. And my agenda is to trot on up to my, friend's Remy, my friend Remy's house and to ring the doorbell with panache. I'm gonna ring that bad mamma jamma and I'm gonna wait with bated breath for Remy's mom to come. And I have one question in mind and the question is this, can Remy come out and play? Now, uh, you may be wondering, is that safe? To, to let your child walk down. No, this is, I feel, this is back in the 90s, you know, so it's like this is in a previous millennia, so it's like I, I'm surprised that Remy's mom said yes because I was the kid in the neighborhood who was often getting into what they call mischief. I was really into the Red Hot Chili Peppers at that time in my life. I had no idea how I came across the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but Remy's mom found us listening to, uh, like, I don't know, some song Californication, which I guess is about uh, something that Remy's mom was not ready to introduce. And uh, so she, but she said, yes, this was the ritual. I would walk down to Remy's house or Remy would walk down mine and it was the sacred ritual. We would walk up to the door and whoever answered it, we would ask the question, can they come out and play? And, and I imagine that this is like some mythic practice from a bygone era, but this was my life. And if nostalgia was a question, that would be it for me. Can they come out and play? I, I think there's something about play that invites us to lay aside the oughts and the shoulds and the demands of the day. Of the, and then we get to embrace a new posture and play. There's risk and adventure. There's like whole imaginative worlds yet to be discovered in that place of play. This gal, Diane Ackerman, and her, and her work, uh, deep play. She makes the case that the more an animal needs to learn in order to survive, the more it needs to play. She, she's making the case that play is adaptive and that play reminds us that we can inhabit the world in a new way. Let me just ask you, if you're, I don't know, over the age of 15, when was the last time you played? Uh, just, just sit with that. Because play is where we get to learn and we get to make sense of an ever-shifting world. Because I don't, I don't know if you've found this out yet, but the world is not black or white. It's not all just ones and zeros that make, unless you do coding, then your world is kind of like ones and zeros in black and white. But that's, there's often nuance and texture and complexity. And that means there's also tension. Play is the place where we get to explore, we get to compromise, we get to risk, and in the end, delight. I love how Ackerman goes on to describe this. She says, for humans, and trust me, there's a payoff with this whole little scenario we're working through. For humans, play is a refuge from ordinary life, a sanctuary of the mind where one is exempt from life's customs, methods, and decrees. Play always has a sacred place some version of a playground in which it happens. The hallowed ground is usually outlined so that it's clearly set off from the rest of reality. This place may be a classroom, a sports stadium, a stage, a, a courtroom, a coral reef, a workbench in the garage, a church, or a temple. As John Huzinga goes on to note, play creates order and is order. 
And so as we come to this, the final installment of our little Sabbath practice this morning, I just, I find myself lingering here at the intersection of play and Sabbath. Because this is interesting, but it's not, well, it's interesting to me and I'm inviting you to be interested as well. But it's interesting not just because play does something to our bodies and it helps us to be flexible, which is true, the neuroscience bears that out. But it's interesting because, you know, the the goal of Sabbath, the goal of keeping the Sabbath is not keeping the Sabbath. (laughs) The goal of any, any spiritual discipline or practice is not the discipline or the practice. The goal, the end of it all is to be with God. It's union to be with and become like and eventually to partake in God's life with him, to actually take up the lifestyle of the rabbi Jesus. I mean, just think about the Sermon on the Mount for a moment. Is that something that we can actually live into? I think yes, emphatically yes. But as Jesus will go on and say, like, if you want to gain your life, then you'll have to lose it. Or as he'll say elsewhere, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Like, this will require a type of death. But what's so interesting is that there's a different way. It's not all drudgery. There's something delightful in the midst of it. And I think play is this place, a place where we can discover again what it means to be loved by God and transformed into people of love. And yet, there we are, entrenched in our lives, dug in thinking this is just the way that it is. But what if there was a different way? And I think that there is, and it's this way of Jesus, it's this way of Sabbath rest. Like what if with childlike confidence, we trotted up to heaven's door and with panache, we rang the bell and asked God to come out and play. You might be thinking, this is the silliest sermon. I hope you think that because there's something to be had here for us. What if the way out of drudgery and into Sabbath delight was play? How might that change how we see and in turn enter the Sabbath? Now, I I have no idea how these questions land for you. And if this is your first time here with us, Hi, welcome. We've been going through a series on the Sabbath as a way to enter the rest that we actually think Jesus has on offer. But to close in this, we still are wrestling with the question, is this possible? And I want to say, yes, it is. But I also don't want to make assumptions that you've like been on board and I've convinced you. Uh, so I just want to invite you again today to suspend your judgment about the Sabbath and for a little bit longer consider play as a pathway to delight on the Sabbath. And if you're wondering, well, what do I mean by play? Um, Well, let's just take this little nugget from neuroscientist Dr. Andrew Huberman. He says this, play is when you engage in any kind of low stakes activity that has no critical outcome for the rest of your life. So if any of you, I asked you, have you played recently? And you were like, goodness, I don't know. Here are some categories. Board games. Okay, I'll go on. Sports, crafts, cooking, right? I don't know, whatever it is. Like, the idea is that you remove the pressure of performing well enough that you can enjoy being in the experience. The first bit of that definition is fine, but it's the second one that I want to draw your attention to. Imagine a place before God where there is not pressure to perform to be accepted by God. By the way, That's like the gospel. 
that God actually looks toward us in Christ and says, you are fully welcomed into my family by grace according to my name. I have made a way for you. So like soldiers beckoned forth from the trenches, I think play can make room for us to delight even in the chaos of the struggle. And to show that I'm not just like making this up on a whim or appealing to, I don't know, Ackerman and deep work or neuroscientists, this is like theologians have been thinking about this for a while, reflecting on our very teaching text. Jürgen Moltmann, a theologian whose work focuses on the connection between creation and liberation and play, has this to say on the matter. Moltmann says this, creation is God's play. Just sit with that for a moment. In eternity past, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a community of eternal love. There's no need to create. God doesn't need this, but rather wants to share that affection and goes, you know what would be dope? The heavens and the earth. Let's, okay, I got this. Let's go with some dry land and then let's put some beasts on the land. Let's get creatures to, I, I, okay, this is just like a, I'm riffing here, but God's playing in creation. It is a play of his groundless and inscrutable wisdom. It, that is creative play, is the realm in which he displays his glory. That means in you and in me, God has willfully and freely chosen to display his goodness. Just hear, hear this again from our teaching text, Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. He rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Just by way of reminder, that is the, like the seventh day is the first thing in all of the Bible that's called holy. And God is the one who designated it as such. The day, time itself is declared holy, not you and me. I used to think and then teach that we were the pinnacle of creation, but I, it doesn't seem as though. When all of creation had been completed, then God blessed and called the seventh day holy. It's as though God has set this scene and is eagerly waiting for the drama to unfold. You know, there, I, I learned this from uh, your boy Huberman. Uh, so if you just want to go on YouTube and do like Huberman play, you'll get all my sources there. Uh, but there's this universal posture of play, and it's this. So if you're not looking at me, let me have your eyes. It's this. Yeah? So all of you, almost all of you who gave your eyes up here, almost all of you started to smile. And that might have been because I, my eyes were open wide and my tongue went out, but you're like, because that's a little weird. Or you just felt uncomfortable. That wasn't a genuine, like I'm participating. It was like, this is weird. There is a universal posture of play, eyes wide open, tongue out. You see it in animals, you see it in people. I, what if this is what God looks like? And this might be odd, and God is spirit, he's embodied in Jesus, yes, we see that. But I just like imagine, what if God, like this morning, when you woke up, God was like, let's go. Let's, I, and maybe personalities dictate some of this, so maybe this just seems silly, but I'm just thinking, what would it look like to get into this promise of rest here and now and allow it to change us? But I seldom think that this is how we imagine God. 
If you grew up in any sort of churchianity flavor that I was introduced to, then perhaps God, the way you've experienced him is one who's like doting, like waiting for you to mess up and then tell you that you've done wrong. And so we seldom see God in this way. Dan Allender in his work on the Sabbath, he comments on this very passage and he says this, most of us see the Sabbath as a chance to rest, by which we mean to be off. And isn't that such, a, such an interesting turn? I'm going to be off. I think what God is more interested in is us being fully on, fully alive, or joy overflowing. In this view, it's as if the six days of creation were hard, onerous work for God that required a rest day for him to recuperate in order to get back to the, like, to the work of waiting for Adam and Eve to sin in order to get the other part of the plan of redemption off the ground. What a busy God. And I know like, this is kind of wordy and awkward the way that Allender puts it, and it's a little bit cheeky, but I think he has a point. The Sabbath is not just a day off or a break from work. And even if regular church attendance is a part of your life, and for many of you it is, um, it's still a day that feels full. And so, you know, it's full of shopping, it's full of meal prep, it's full of like, I don't know, maybe you're like a, a bit of a type A person and so you're looking for the week ahead and so you're catching up on email and you're making a plan for what's gonna take place. And just please hear my heart right here. These are good and necessary things. But rocking up to church on a Sunday morning and then spending the afternoon like watching Netflix and folding laundry, that is not the same thing as a Sabbath. Eugene Peterson calls that a bastard Sabbath by which he means the illegitimate child of a Sunday worship experience and a secular weekend. So literally, a bastard Sabbath is the love child of Sunday worship and a weekend. So if indeed creation is God's play, and on the Sabbath, God eagerly awaits for us to come and like ring the bell of heaven, then the question that we're still sitting with is, are we willing? If God is willing, are we? And if the answer is yes, then we need to know like how we play. We actually just have to do a little cataloging of what this means for us. So here are some things to think about. If you're the type of person who wants to take notes, this is for you. You can even take out your phone. I'll just wait for a moment. Okay, that was good. So, so think about this. Think about the activities that bring a sense of wonder or the experiences. Uh, last night I was walking out to cl clean up a yard full of toys. And as I was turning to go back inside from our backyard, it was like God had painted the skies for me. Now I know that, that all of you might have seen that as well, but it was, it was like in that moment. It was this moment, like what, what brings you a sense of wonder, makes you feel small? What's beautiful to you? What makes you feel most alive or what makes you feel content? Where do you laugh? Let me ask you this, when was the last time you experienced God's delight over you? When you were a child, what brought you pleasure? And you're like, but I'm an adult and I have responsibilities. Yeah, and you'll have those until you die. But I don't, it's, this isn't like a YOLO kind of a thing. This is God's inviting you to curate delight in your life. And this is the opportunity to pause and reflect on what those things might be. 
Is it, is it knitting? Is it crochet? Is it pickleball? Apparently that's taking Gen Z by storm. I mean, like, to take time and answer that question, what brings me delight is worthwhile. And what I've noticed along the way is that Sabbath can be unsettling, in part because we don't actually know what brings us delight, or that question feels debilitating. We're like, I, so this, this, is, this can be challenging work. But I think what really makes this unsettling is that we don't really know who we are apart from what we do. From so long, we've, like the question that we've been programmed to answer is like when, somebody said, like when you meet somebody, you ask them, what do you do? And in some sense, you're evaluating, you're judging who are they, you're ranking them in some scale. And I do this too, I'm, I'm, I am guilty of this. But ironically, on a Sabbath, it is the absence of doing that gives way to like legitimate symptoms of withdrawal. <laughs> and so we feel this dull ache to accomplish and contribute and work. And God in that space is inviting us to be satisfied in Him, to, to redirect those longings to God. And let me just tell you, this takes time. But there comes a moment this like where it's this thin space and you are like, you are fully loved, and it's like these moments create an appetite for God, and they are worth seeking. Do you know that, that people will rearrange their lives for work? People will rearrange their lives to go on their dream vacation. What if there's something better than a job with really good benefits, or like going to Bali? And it's the presence of the living God who literally created Bali, who's willing to show his full self to you according to your personality and disposition and circumstances. I'm just saying it's worth it. See, I think in the midst of all of this, play is an antidote to our ache and a counterintuitive entrance in the Sabbath. So for example, I have two young boys, uh, my lollipop buddy over here. Um, and and if, I, if I do this at home, I can hardly see you. But if I take my glasses off and I put them on the shelf and then I get down on all fours and one or both of my boys see, they know what time it is. It's time to wrestle. Now let me tell you about wrestling. Wrestling is a little different than wrestling. Um, I'm not gonna be wearing like a singlet while this is taking place, bad visual. Um, wrestling is basically me getting down and then one or both of my boys hanging from my neck and trying to tickle me. And it's the best. You might go, I don't relate to any of that. I love play. Jess said that when, when we started having kids, she was like, yeah, uh, she would say this publicly to other people and still does. We had kids because Kyle needed more playmates, which is true. Um, I love it. I love the spontaneity. I, I, love the, I love all of it. I mean, like, play is where I feel like I come alive. The competition, I am here for it. I forget that I'm competitive, and then I play ping pong, and I'm like, let's go. It, like, something comes out of me. And what, I, what I'm trying to get at here is play is going to look different for me than it is for you. But it's still possible. It still can come through. You just need to know where it is. What is the wonder and the beauty and the contentedness? Where is the laughter? Because I imagine that God the Father is like with a twinkle in his eye looking at you to come, to give chase, to seek him out. Do you know that the scriptures say if you seek him, you will find him? 
How weird is this? The God of the universe is saying, let's go. And we think we could just rock up, sing a couple songs, rock through a liturgy, maybe pray, do some devotionals a couple days a week, and, and then we're like, well, God, where are you? And I think the whole time, it's not, that's not with condemnation. God is waiting, eager for us. I'm just proposing a way to enter into that. See, what if, what if this was actually possible? What if God was waiting? And let me just drop a little reality on you as we close. And trust me, we're closing now. Tomorrow, more drudgery will come. You will get up and your body will hurt. I'm, I'm apparently middle-aged now, and I'm learning that I can't do the same things I did when I was in college. There is more drudgery coming your way. And this is actually a really sweet gift that God gives to us to let us know that the pain and the pangs we feel in our body are not the end of the story. That the gospel actually has a way to enter into those things. Do you know what Jesus, when Jesus was exalted, it was on a cross. Like Jesus joins us in those things, not just to have co-suffering, but because there's something that can move through them. You will have uncomfortable conversations. You will miss deadlines. You will laugh. You will have joy. There will be moments. Remember Heschel's words. The seventh day is man's armistice in the cruel struggle for existence. I mean, what a picture. Life is war. <laughs> and Jesus is broken in to bring peace. Jesus has made another way. And you know what? We ought, we ought to, church, see what it is, that the rhythms of Jesus, and try as we can to pick them up. This is where I think we could join God, because God is here to join us in our ceasing and bless our resting and give himself for our feasting and ultimately to enter our delight. I, as we close, no one's forcing you to do this. If you never keep the Sabbath, that's nothing on me. I mean, you, you'll hear, you're, you're going to hear me talk about it. You're going to, like, see it in our lives. Like, you'll, you'll see it starting to break in in nooks and crannies in this church. But no one is going to force you to do this. But there is a way, a way that God called holy, a way that Jesus describes as easy. And in the middle of life's melee, God is singing a song. It's like there's a song that's going out in no man's land that's inviting you and me to see it transformed, to see a song and a game turn something beautiful. You may have sang it sometime, I don't know, I heard it, but like this reality of graves being turned into gardens. Like this is the beauty of what God does in Christ. He gives himself to us. And so what will you say? This is the Sabbath invitation to come and find yourself before the God who looks on you with love, affection, and admiration. God himself, church, God stands at the door and knocks. I hope you know that that, that little bit comes from Revelations. Jesus standing at the door of a church who is in some sense turned away from him, but he stands with diligent and knocks waiting for us to open. 
And he doesn't do so with condemnation. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. This is how God looks on us in Jesus. It is with love that he looks on you and invites you to come, to come and remember.